We've been in a series dealing with some difficult questions, like when your world falls apart or when you're afraid. I am so grateful, especially last week, for all of the messages and emails I got regarding the message last week. I love it when you contact me or you let me know what's going on in your life. This morning I want to talk about something that we always try to identify. What are needs that we face and what are needs that those who don't know Jesus yet face in our community? One of those common questions that's come up that I haven't spoke about in a long, long time is shallow relationships. And sometimes those relationships can be our marriages. They go through stages, ebbs and flows, where we seem like they feel like they get shadow, shallow. Sometimes it can be with our children. And sometimes it can be in our church. Sometimes it can be with the people we work with. I know Becky and I were listening years and years ago, back before we ever had children. We were listening to a, a message by Dr. Dobson on Focus on the Family. He said that he and Shirley were talking once and they made up their mind that when their children were grown, they didn't want to look across the table and go, now who are you? And I have had that experience so many times of people coming in and saying, you know, the busyness of life, making a living, you know, raising a family, paying bills. Sometimes it just seems like my wife and I just don't know each other. And Becky's had ladies come to her over the years. John Sutherland made a TEDx talk in which he explained a principle that I know is true, but just hearing the way he talked about it in forensic science, he said that every human contact we make literally leaves a trace just like your fingerprint or your DNA does. He said, whoever we touch, whoever we walk with, even unconsciously, we leave, and this is his word, a witness with them. He said, when two people meet, whether they're friends or strangers, he said, we either encourage, ignore, hold out a hand, withdraw it, walk towards, walk away. And then he said this, we bless or curse. And isn't that what Jesus taught us about relationships? I know as a pastor, I have been so blessed. I've been so blessed to do life with people in so many different ways. Doing the premarital counseling, dedicating the babies, going through those times of sickness and illness. Many people sitting there with them while they took their last breath. Many that have crossed the line and given their heart to Jesus. I've seen and grown to know and love and, and then be there. And in my own untalented way, sing the songs of faith to them on their deathbed. And I'm grateful for those relationships. I'm grateful for the relationship I have with you. I was talking to one of the men in our church, returned my call this week. And I noted in my journal how easily we laugh and we tease and joke with one another. It's good to have friends like that, isn't it? It's kind of like an old shoe 
I pulled out a new pair of shoes because Becky doesn't like these shoes. She's not here. <laughs> She's gone to be with her ailing father, and I put those shoes on, and they're just not comfortable. I said, well, what the heck? Becky's not here. So I don't care whether they look right or not. They feel good. <laughs> and that's the way good friendships are. They, they're broken. They've had life together. They've, you know, they're not slick on the bottom where you fall easily. I hate buying clothes. <laughs> friendships are like that. But I want to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning that you might go, hmm, what does that got to do with relationships? Well, it has a lot to do. It's written by the brother of Jesus, and it's interesting to me that he never powers up, never amps up, never names drops, but he tells us, and no one probably knew Jesus better than James did. And he writes about wisdom in relationships. All my life I've sought, and I... And I can say this before you and before God, knowing that everything I say I'm going to be held accountable for, but I have sought to learn wisdom, to apply wisdom. I've wanted not to be a wise guy, but be a wise man, because the Bible has so much good to say about the fruit of wisdom. According to what I'm going to read you here this morning and what the book of Proverbs says, wisdom means that we can live together and encourage and build one another up, exhort one another. Wisdom means we don't kill each other. Wisdom means that we don't mar each other's reputation. Wisdom means we don't throw somebody under the bus. Wisdom means that people are safe around us. And isn't that what a woman that was called in adultery felt around Jesus? Was the safety and the knowledge that she was loved, she was chosen, and that God would give her purity? Isn't that what wisdom does? And Jesus' wisdom? Wisdom is that that sets people free. And so this morning as we look to the Word of God, I want you to listen carefully. Because if you're going through that place, and maybe you're not right now, but if you're going through that place where things seem kind of shallow, there's a wise way to deepen your relationship. On Saturday, it would be my real joy to, to, to perform the wedding ceremony for Zach Gilreath and his bride, Rachel Harry, or his fiance. And we've had so much fun talking about some of the things I'm going to talk to you about. Just over Christmas, Becky's father sat me down and he says, I know I'm dying. He said, well, I still have my mind. He said, I want to you to do my funeral. He said, son, you know me. He said, I don't want the district superintendent. I don't want any of the pastors. I want you to do my funeral. And then in typical Becky's father's way, here's what I want you to say. Because <laughs> he knew none of the rest of them were going to listen to him. And so we sat there and we went through his life of growing up in the orphanage. We went through his life and how he came to know Christ. We went through his life and those relationships. And I looked at him and I said, Pop, I know I've said it a thousand times, but thank you for giving me a woman of virtue and a woman of grace to be my wife. 
thank you for being a good dad and a good father-in-law. That comes from wisdom. So I want you to stand with me now and let's go to the word of the Lord. If, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. You don't have to go to Sudan to experience the demonic. You don't have to go to Africa to experience the demonic. But where there is jealousy, where there's selfish ambition, where there's lying, you encounter the demonic. We may not have masks and we may not have idols in America. We may not have witch doctors because of our belief and thank God for science and technology. But we do have strife and jealousy and selfish ambition. Amen? And so God says, you, you, where you have that, those things are demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. Jesus, who began both to preach and to do. That's the way Luke described him. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers, or in other words, those who are wise, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Lord, once again, we don't need man's wisdom here, but we need the wisdom of God that comes from above. The wisdom that you give, you love to give, you love to help us. So I ask you this morning, give us discerning hearts and minds and help us not only to hear, but to apply the word to our hearts. Would you just breathe a prayer right now and say, Lord, grant me wisdom this morning. Now, Lord, I know you hear every prayer going up across this sanctuary. And as we'll see in just a few minutes, you love to hear those kind of prayers. Now be glorified in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Each and every day of my life, Monday through Friday, I try to write a life application statement in my journal of what I've read from the scriptures. I'll take a verse or a couple of verses that I've read that from my Bible time, and I only do this Monday and Friday because through Friday, but the weekends are so busy, I can't. Sometimes it'll take me a few minutes to sit there and to write it out or to put it all together. But I try to write a life application statement for my life. What is the Bible saying to me here? And if I was to sum this up for you this morning, the life application statement that I wrote for what is wisdom, wisdom is living to bless God, bless others, and to be blessed myself. 
For I believe in that principle of reciprocity that whatever we sow, that is what we're going to reap. Whatever we give, that's what's going to be given back to us. Whenever we planted, that's what we expected to reap was what we had planted. So wisdom, according to the scriptures, is to bless God by obeying God, loving God, serving God, reverencing God, living for God. Wisdom is to bless others, to love one another, to encourage one another, to come alongside and help each other, to come alongside and, and to teach or admonish. Sometimes the most loving thing people can do is to confront me, not confront me in hostility, but confront me with love and wisdom and grace. You see, wisdom is blessing others, but as we bless, we will be blessed. As we give, we will be given to. As we forgive, we will be forgiven. That's that principle of reciprocity that God has set in the divine order. It's just as much a law as the law of gravity is. It's a law that exists and it is there and you find it throughout the scriptures. You don't show wisdom by your talk. You don't show wisdom by the things you say. You show wisdom by the way you live. That's how you reveal wisdom. You've often heard me say this from the pulpit. And I don't say it as a defense mechanism. I say it because I think it's important that you know not only in my life, but anybody else's life, that a pulpit has the ability to make you appear holier than what you really are. All of us are pilgrims living this thing out and walking this thing out together. If you want to know if I'm wise... Don't look at the words I say, but talk to the people I live with. Talk to Becky. Talk to my children. Talk to the people I work with. Talk to the people, the staff and their families and their children. Talk to the people that I do life with. If you want to know whether I'm wise, don't judge me on what I'm saying, but judge me on whether or not I'm living the kind of life because you can talk wisdom but not live that wisdom. You can know things but never have applied that to your life. The Bible says that wisdom is peacemaking. Wisdom becomes peacemakers. Wisdom are the people who plant those seeds of peace and raise a harvest of righteousness. The farmer Jack that you were talking about that you remodeled years ago. Christopher was getting very discouraged one time in school because he was having to go through tutoring classes and Christopher has always been a hard worker and developed diligence and had a good heart about him. And, but Christopher was having some real struggles and everything just came so easily for Andrew. He just, languages, whatever he had to study, it just came easily for him. Andrew was diligent. He would read and be up to 10 and 11 o'clock at night doing homework until he was finished. And when he graduated, he had scholarship offers from Princeton and Michigan and all kinds of other schools like that. He's a smart kid, but Christopher was comparing himself. But Andrew didn't possess the skills Christopher possessed. And so one day I picked him up at school, and he and I were going out for some time together, and just Chris and Dad, and he broke down, and unlike Christopher, he started crying in the car. And he said, Dad, I'm dumb. I just, why do I have to go through all this? Why can't I get it the way Andrew does? And we pulled into Farmer Jack's. And I talked to him. I said, son, you can pass a football. You can throw a baseball. You can put things together with your hands. You have skills that your brother doesn't possess, but your wisdom is a different kind of wisdom. As a matter of fact, don't, Jan, don't call him and tell him I told this today, but they won't, Andrew's an officer in the army, Andrew is a sharpshooter, Andrew is, I can't say enough good about my son Andrew, but they will not let Andrew throw a grenade. 
It's dangerous, they told Andrew. It's dangerous to them, not to the enemy, if Andrew throws a grenade. So Andrew doesn't throw grenades because he's just not that coordinated to do that sort of thing. And so Chris, as he went on, he, he met a, a teacher at the school that uh, was all into welding and, and shop, and Chris and he hit it off, and that teacher at Woodhaven High School, we've written him letters and cards thanking him before for his influence in Christopher's life, and some of you here in the church, you, you helped Christopher because his dad is, is worse than you could imagine at things like that, and Chris just soared, but when he graduated, after he'd done his undergrad work and he graduated with his master's in architecture, suddenly he, he, he knew I said son there's a lots of difference between getting the head knowledge knowing things and actually having to do it and so he went to work with builders as an architectural intern and missions and he was in Cuba and I remember when he came back from Cuba he was so blown away he says dad he says they stole stuff from me he said I never realized just how much freedom we really enjoy here in America because the government was wanting to take away land from an Assemblies of God church and, and they wanted to they put them on another piece of property so Springfield sent Christopher down there to do a, a survey on the land to, to assess it, and Chris was able to say, no, this would be a horrible decision for the church. What they're not telling them is it sits on an open sewer for the whole community, and the stench would be awful, and these, they couldn't build, and so they were able to prevail on the government. Sometimes we forget how blessed we are in America. We complain about so many things, but you had the freedom to come here and to worship and to lift your hands and sing the praises of God without worrying about anybody here spying on us this morning. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I mean, incredible. Christopher went to Belize, and there in Belize, he encountered where there weren't the kind of laws like we have in America, and buildings were literally sinking into the ground, and he sent me pictures of buildings halfway into the ground that had been built improperly because they were built on soil that didn't have the right foundation for it. Then he was in South Africa, but the real learning experience for him was when he was in Nepal after the earthquake, and there was against the law to evangelize. There he couldn't share his faith on the streets or tell somebody unless they came to him and asked him questions, and there they were constantly being watched, and he learned so much about people and building, and because he was in a different culture, and it's made him, I think, the man that he is today, and prepared him for the mission's call that he and Rachel have, and we're so proud of them. But what I want you to know is you can be wise or smart having a lot of head knowledge, but until you get into a life where you apply that knowledge, you never really develop wisdom. You see, wisdom is to take things that are unrelated to each other, they're different from each other, and see how they fit into relationships. When I look across this building this morning, I see how different most of us are from one another. We come from different backgrounds. We have different lifestyles. We have different dreams and ambitions. We have different personalities. Some of us, we think life ought to be this way. Some of us think life ought to be that way. Some of us are very pro-life. Some of us, we believe in pro-life, but maybe we're very more pro-conscious about taking care of the earth or something like that. We have different things that drive, but God somehow or another pulls us all together, and he makes us not an organization, but he makes us a an organism. We are the living body of Christ inhabited by the Holy Spirit, red and yellow, black and white, different perspectives, different backgrounds, but we are the body of Christ, and only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can make that happen in our lives. 
Wisdom, wisdom is the ability to see and discern. Yes, there are differences, but we can still build relationships and we can build friendships like Sutherland said because we know that everybody's life we touch, everybody's life that we encounter, we're leaving something unique upon their lives. This week I was in a restaurant And one of the men who recently gave his heart to Christ at our church was there because someone had encountered him in our community and built relationship and friendship, and he came to know Jesus. And, and this week in the restaurant, I, he came over to the table where I was having lunch with another man from our church and came over to hug and to greet, and we talked and we shared for a few moments together, and you could see the love and the glow about Jesus and all about him. In a few minutes, he had friends join him, and he was pointing over there, and he said, there's my pastor. And I I would have thought before this he would have never pointed that and these guys were turning around because they see the difference made in his life and in another few minutes somebody else came in from the church and there was that exchange of love but we're as different as night and day they are from the upper peninsula they call us trolls who live down here who do they think they are you know they call us trolls I don't know what y'all call them up there but I'm proud to be an American. Let's just leave it at that. Shaquille O'Neal was talking one time. He was talking about knowledge and wisdom that comes in basketball. Now, I like basketball. I like to watch it. I don't get to watch a lot of it. I, Becky lets me by with watching Georgia football during the, the fall, and um, then I get to watch the Super Bowl. But after that, we have a good marriage because there's a hard limit on sports. Pastor Rick is much smarter than I am. I don't know how he's done it and survived. But Shaquille was being interviewed, and he said, this is when he was late in his, his career. He said, you know, these younger guys, he can, they can jump an inch higher than I can, maybe two inches higher than I can. He says, they have more stamina than I do. He said, they can run faster than I can run, these younger guys. But he says, it's without question, you can put a group of us older guys together, we'll beat the strength, we'll beat the stamina, we'll beat the longer shots, we'll beat them every time. Because we have a wisdom that comes from having played basketball together, knowing who can do what and who to pass to and who to relate to. And I quote, he says, there's no way to hurry that kind of wisdom of the game up. Friends, there is no quick download of wisdom. You've got to live life and do life with Christ and with people, with Christians and lost people if you want to be a wise man or woman of God. So you've got to be able to do it with each other. A wise person knows how to reconcile people and to bring peace. A wise person knows how to smooth over ruffled feathers. A wise person knows how to compliment without flattering. A wise person knows how to motivate without buttering up. A wise person knows how to confront without carrying it so far that you destroy the other person. A wise person sometimes is the person that keeps an organization or a club or a group of friends together, and you remove that person from the group, and the whole group or the organization or the club falls apart because that wise person had this ability to bring different people together and build friendships. I'm reading a fascinating book right now called The Founder's Mentality and how founders have this this ability that they have brought in and how they often build a company or build an organization only to see when they step aside that organization falls apart because there's no one that has developed that cultural wisdom of how to pull people together. The Bible says in James chapter 3 and verse 13, do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here Here's what you do. Live well, 
live wisely, live humbly. Read that with me. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. One more time. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. You see, the great reality of life is this, is that wisdom comes first of all from the fear of the Lord. Wisdom in relationships, wisdom in life, it comes from fearing the Lord. And not fear like a, an abusive parent, not fear like a, a demanding boss, not fear like the terror of the night, but that fear, that respect, that awe, that reverence that you have for a loving dad or a loving mom or a, a, a kind and good leader. You have this reverence for them. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 130 and verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Would you read that with me? But with, there, with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I flubbed it up, so let's read it again. But with you there is forgiveness forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you you see when God forgives you it's not so you can be your best buddy he's your friend but it's so that you learn how to reverence to have the fear of the Lord how many of you have ever had that time in your life when you've gone it hit me I know that God loves me pastor but then one day it hit me I'm just telling you things that people have told me I know that God was going to provide my needs, but then one day, Pastor, it hit me. Pastor, I know that I'm dying from this cancer, but then one day, it hit me. Pastor, this is the most difficult time in my life, but right now, what I'm going through, I was praying the other night, and then it hit me. How many of you have ever said something like that? It hit me. How, come on, lift your hands. It hits you. you. You've had that moment. It's been that, aha. It's been that, wow. You got it. I mean, it's hit you. And what is happening is according to what James says here, is God is taking those difficult experiences, those trying times of your life, and like my grandmother with a butter churn, as I remember watching her churn that cream until it became sweet butter, God is taking the difficulties, the challenges, the hurt, the the agony of your life and God is churning that up into wisdom inside of you and suddenly it hits you if God gave his son for me at Calvary then how will he not also provide for all of my needs if God forgave me of my sins then I am the righteousness of God in Christ if God took all of my cares upon himself then why should I worry God is going to take care of me you will never understand wisdom and you will never understand godly relationships until first you get a glimpse of how powerful the cross of Jesus Christ really is. It's the cross that makes a difference. I'm thankful for healing. I'm thankful for words of wisdom. I'm thankful for spiritual gifts. But friends, we have those because of the cross of Christ. It's why Paul says, I don't glory in my organizational abilities. I don't glory in my communication abilities. I don't glory in my writing abilities. I don't glory in the spiritual gifts. I glory in the cross of Christ. Let's give him one more hand of praise this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. If God gave us his son, then how much more will he not provide everything we need for life and godliness? I have discovered that the families of veterans, the families of those who've had sons and daughters give their lives 
seem to have a greater love for our country than those who haven't had that sort of investment in it. In Israel, I remember going to one of our classes there where every single person, man and woman, is required to serve. There is a fierce devotion and a love for that country that the Israelis possess, not just because of the promises of God, but because they have an investment in one another's lives. They seek the security. They seek the welfare of their nation. They seek the welfare of their neighbor. Please don't take me wrong on that. It's not that they don't have problems and sin and everything else, but they're invested in their country. If I could apply that for just a moment, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You see, wisdom will cause you to put the kingdom of God above everything else in your life. And when you seek it with all your heart, when you live for the kingdom of God with all of your heart, God will take those difficulties in your life and he will turn them up into a sweet butter called wisdom into your life that is rock solid but you will never know that as a Sunday morning Christian only. You will never know that as somebody who's just trying to live it culturally. You will only know that as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ where you say Lord I give you everything just as you gave me everything at Calvary. That's what it means. So a beautiful life, a wise life, a healthy life is first of all a life that has lived in balance. A balance where we serve God, but we serve one another. A balance where we take care not only of our souls, but we take care of our bodies. I look at you this morning, you're well-dressed, you look good, I've already hugged some of you, you smell good. I hugged a couple of people this morning after sharing that, and one of them said, do I smell good? I said, you smell wonderful, but if you tell anybody that I told you that, and he was a man, I said, I'll deny it and lie. <laughs> You smell because you take care of yourself. We do so much to take care of this outer man, but wisdom takes care of this inner man. Wisdom takes care of this inner soul. Wisdom worships God. Wisdom waits upon the Lord. Wisdom seeks God. Wisdom cultivates relationships because there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There is no such thing as a solo Christian. There is no such thing as a hermit Christian. God calls us to do life with one another. It's called cultivating. And the beauty of a wise life is that a wise life is a life lived in reality. Not fantasy, not pink clouds, but a life lived in reality. What could be more real than a manger, a cattle trough, a cave where animals were kept? What could be more real than Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River? What could be more real than Jesus walking dusty roads and dealing with people who thought they were too good to wash the Lord's feet until he got up and washed their feet? What could be more real than a rugged cross called Calvary? What could be more real than a cold tomb where his body lay? What could be more real than descending into the depths of the earth and there wrestling away the keys of death and hell from the devil and coming back and rising again from the dead what could be more real than fixing breakfast for disciples after he rose again on the third day? What could be more real than walking into a room and saying, do you have anything to eat? Friends, I want to tell you something. We are not people living on crutches, and we are not people living in pink clouds. We are living in the real now so that one day we can live forever with our Father in heaven.
Somebody praise him this morning. You take those concepts. People don't say it much to me anymore because I've confronted it. People have had the nerve, the cockiness, the arrogance, the downright stupidity to say to me, if you lived in the real world, you come walk with me. I'll show you the real world. I'll take you to the world of deformed babies. I'll take you to the world of alcoholics. I'll take you to the world of cancer. I'll take you to the world of wrecked lives and ruined lives. I'll take you to the world of a teenager who overdosed. I'll take you to the graveside of the kid that I buried because he went out with the wrong group of friends. I'll take you into the real world every day, but I will show you the triumph of faith that comes through Jesus Christ when we apply the principles and the wisdom of God's word. It says, God, you loan us. We belong to you and you will take the evil that happens in our life and you will make it even turn to good because you're turning this up into wisdom not to destroy us but to make us a blessing friends Christianity is real it's the lies of this world that are fake and phony it's the lies of this world it's the garbage of this world it's the philosophies of this world that the Bible describes as empty and vain and poverty you see, relational wisdom is a gift. Relational wisdom is a gift. It's a gift you have to seek. It's a gift you have to work out. It's a gift that if you want it, you've got to go find it. Some of the best Christmases I can remember in our family, growing up and even in our own home, is when we hide gifts and then we give everybody clues. The house gets torn up as people look Matter of fact, I was watching the video this morning and I could see all those eggs laying out on the ball field. And I was thinking, Buford Clanton would have never hit an egg like that. <laughs> you see, if you want it, you got to seek it. Seek you first the kingdom. Let's look again at the word of the Lord. Job chapter 28. Do people know where to find wisdom? Where they can find understanding? No one knows where to find it for it's not found among the living. It's not here, says the ocean, nor is it here, says the sea. It cannot be bought with gold. It cannot be purchased with silver. It's worth more than the purest gold. But do people know where to find wisdom, where they can find understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all humanity. God alone. God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found. For he looks throughout the whole earth and he sees everything under the heavens. Friends, what is he saying to us here? He's saying that the God who created everything. The scripture says of Jesus that in him and through him and by him do all things exist and hold together. Wisdom begins with the reverence and the fear of the Lord. Wisdom in knowing how to relate to people begins with the wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Look again with me at James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature, well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you don't know what you're doing, how many of you have been there? You don't know what you're doing. Look at me. Yeah. I have been, I live here all the time. I mean, this is my address right here. If you don't know what you're doing, right here last night, kneeling at this, at this platform while we were praying, I said, God, I don't know. Lord, I'm asking you for the faith like that woman who reached out and touched you, and when she touched you, she was healed. God, we're reaching out. If you don't know what you're doing, 
pray to the Father. He loves to help. Read that with me. He loves to help. Come on, read it like you mean it. He loves to help. When you want somebody to know something, you tell them with feeling. You tell them with enthusiasm. You don't go, oh, he loves to help. Oh, right? Yeah, he loves it. Nobody believes that. Oh, he loves to help. He loves you. He cares about you. You, you want him to know that. So now, read it one more time for yourself. He loves to... Oh, man. When God helps, you're blessed. <laughs> when God helps, you ain't got no worries, honey. When God helps, you are delivered. When God comes through, you can swing across hell on a rotten cornstalk, spit the devil in the eye, and say, come on, victory. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. That's what happens when God helps. You'll get his help, and he won't be condescended to when you ask for it. You see, trouble strengthens my faith. Trouble strengthens your faith. It creates endurance. It matures our character. It brings us to wisdom. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. You don't get wisdom. You don't get relational wisdom until you get into situations where you're in trouble. Let me say it again. Few of you got it. Somebody said, no, I don't want to believe that. I'm telling you the truth. You don't get wisdom until you get into situations where you're in trouble. You may get knowledge. You may be like Christopher. You come out knowing a whole lot. But when you go to Cuba, when you go to Belize, when you go to South Africa, when you live for a year in Nepal, oh, baby, you get some wisdom then. When you're living with people from different parts of the world in one tiny little apartment in Nepal, and you don't have the conveniences of life that you have here, and you got to ride around looking like Bane from Batman because there's so much pollution in Kathmandu, well, you get wisdom, honey. But what he learned is that our God is sufficient and our God is able. What I've learned and what many of us have learned in this building, our God is able to do abundantly more than we would ever dream or think or ask for. When God helps you, sweetheart, you've been helped this morning. Hallelujah. God helps. You don't get wisdom until you're humbled. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, I love this, what's so special about you? What do you have that you were not given? And if it was given to you, how can you brag? Now, when I look at James, that trouble was a gift. You may be thinking, Pastor, if you want trouble, I can bring it, baby. <laughs> no, 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 no. Trouble comes to all of us. Trouble sometimes comes in the form of a doctor's diagnosis. Trouble comes sometimes in the form of a financial downturn, especially here in the, in the metro area. Trouble comes when a child accesses something on the internet that he just can't get over and goes back to, and we wish that we'd have put more internet controls on our computer. Trouble comes when we least expect it. It's like the terrorist on a sunny day in New York City flying two airplanes into an unsuspecting city and unsuspecting towers. And you watch those things crumble and collapse and you say, how can this happen? And when things collapse around you, when your world falls apart, when you're afraid, and maybe 
during that time you discover where your deep relationships are and where your shallow relationships are. And so many times in life, most of us in this room, we've discovered in trouble who our real friends are. We've discovered those that will walk with us. And that's a gift. So, as I get ready to wrap this up, and that doesn't really mean anything if you're visiting with us today, but just to encourage you, choose relationships. You can choose to live alone. You can choose to live alone, but that's not the way God calls you. I hear this more from men. Sometimes if I could just get away from it all, I just think if I could build myself a little cabin in the woods, chop firewood, kill a moose, and eat a moose, and eat a bear, I'd be so, don't raise your hand, you haven't heard the rest yet. I could be happy. Oh, no, you can't. That's why we men die quicker than our wives. You see, if our wives die, we die. I mean, that's pretty much the statistics. If Becky dies, I'm dead. You could just count it. Pastor's going to die. But if Becky, if I die, Becky's going to live forever. <laughs> I mean, you women, you just live on and on and on. You know why? Because men can't handle isolation as well as women can handle isolation. So you can choose to be an introvert. Or you can choose relationships because God calls us to do life with people. That, that's why I have been on such a binge about social media. Surely, Sherry Turkle, who wrote a book for, she's a school teacher, she wrote a book about the dangers of, of social media. And they are discovering among students in school, especially middle school students, that those students aren't able to read facial expressions. They aren't able to read eye expressions. They aren't able to read body expressions, which is such a real part of our ability to communicate. She says, face-to-face -face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we do. Fully present to one another, we learn to listen. It's where we develop the capacity for empathy. It's where we experience the joy of being heard, of being understood. It's one of the big reasons we have small groups. I would suggest to you, some of you need a digital detox. You need a Facebook free day. You need to put that stuff aside and start doing life with real people, doing real life and having real conversations together. Quit liking and texting and Facebooking. Get in somebody's space and smell their breath. <laughs> I'm so glad Becky's not here because I did not plan to say any of that. She redlined stuff in my sermon all the time. <laughs> I am in so much trouble if she listens. You want to know what she says to me? Could you have thought of a more polite way to have said that? You could have said the same thing. <laughs> this name probably doesn't mean anything to you, but C.M. Ward, he was called on the carpet one time. <laughs> in Springfield. And they told him what he said. And he said, did you? He said, I really said that? And he goes, they go, yeah. He goes, it's amazing what you'll say under the anointing. So I'm going to blame it on God. <laughs> A person standing alone can be intact and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Tell your small group tonight how much you love them. Number two, choose authentic, authenticity. Don't just pretend, choose authenticity. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. 
The foundation for communication is trust. The foundation for good communication is trust. But good communication, as we looked at it the first of the year, it's got to come from the heart. And it's got to be encouraging and to build up. And it's got to be honest. Thirdly, choose the high road. Anybody can choose the low road. Anybody can go low. Anybody can attack character. Anybody can blame somebody. Anybody can gossip. Jesus says he hates those things. Choose the high road. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's fault because of your love. Choose growth. Choose growth. I love what Paul said here in the message. He had to confront the church on some things that just were not right. No need to go into all that now, but if you read the first book of Corinthians, you'll see. He says, now I'm glad. Not that you were upset, not that you were angry, but now I'm glad, but, but that you, not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from Him. And the result was all gain and not loss. You see, you have a choice. When God starts churning in your life, you can either let it make you run to the cross or run from the cross. When you sin or fail, you can either run to the cross or you can run from the cross. When there's trouble, you can run to the cross or you can run from the cross. But when God allows those things to your life, He's jarring you to bring wisdom. Because the simple fact of the matter in marriage, in family, in work, in worship, it takes wisdom to go from the shallow relationships into deep relationships. And then finally, if I could give you one word to say today. Wisdom loves those you encounter daily. Mr. Sutherland was right. You leave a permanent trace on everybody you meet. I don't remember everybody I've met in my life. Occasionally I'll get a Facebook request from somebody and I don't accept them unless I know them. And so I'll write back, do we know each other? Where do we meet? We met in New Delhi. We met in Nairobi. We met in Atlanta, Montgomery. And I may still not remember, but every one of those people I must have left a trace on. Now if they say we met in Bombay or someplace like that, I decline because we never met. I've never been to Bombay. If they say we met at the casino, the only time I've been to the casino was in the wintertime passing through to get out of the cold weather in Greek town and get to where I want to eat at. But you leave a trace. And I want to leave the fragrance of Christ. I want to leave something that says, you matter to God and you matter to me. Every person that Jesus met. Now, Jesus, now get this, don't miss this. Jesus limited himself when he became the son of God. He became fully man. So that means unlike today where he can touch everybody at any time, any place, 
then he could only touch the people he encountered daily. He was showing us how we can love people the way he loves people. I'm not going to touch people except through my prayers and our giving in Sudan. I have no plans to go to Sudan. Matter of fact, I hope you don't ask me to go to Sudan. I'm going to help the... Hush. I want them to go to Sudan. You see, here's the deal. I am responsible for the people I meet every day. But I can't touch them. Please hear me on this. I can't touch them unless I take time for solitude. And guys, I think that's what we're saying when we're saying, I'd love to build a cabin, chop some firewood, shoot a moose, kill it, eat it. That's just, that's just the man in us. It's just the way God wired us. We've got to be creative to build a cabin. We want to prove to ourselves that we could feed. I mean, I, Becky does the hunting and killing. She goes to Kroger. <laughs> she don't let me go. I spend too much money. <laughs> she comes home with the meat and the fish and the bread and the butter. She cooks it. They don't let me cook because the only thing I cook is salmon and hamburgers. If you like those, I can cook. But shoot a moose and we butcher it. What, is, what are we saying? We're saying we're alone. And if you're a man of God, you're alone with your Bible. You're alone in prayer. And you're being just like Jesus. Look at this. Despite Jesus' instructions... The report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. You can love your neighbor. You can love your coworker. You can go meet your neighbors, invite them over for a barbecue. You can build relationships. But at some point, men and women alike we have to get along with God. We have to get along. If Jesus often did it and he was God, how much more do you and I need to get along with God? Because the deeper my relationship with God, the deeper my marriage, the deeper my relationship with my kids, the deeper life I can live with you. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. I thank you so much for the cross of Christ. I thank you for the gift of new life. I thank you for forgiving us of our sins so that we might learn to reverence you. I thank you for the gift of wisdom that has been churned into most of our lives here, Lord. You have taken what the enemy meant for evil, and you have bought good, rock-solid wisdom out of it. And now this morning, Lord, I pray that you would encourage, especially those whose lives are being churned right now. It's just like that paddle is going up and down, up and down, when will it stop? But God, you will help. 
All we have to do is ask. And finally, Lord, I pray for those that have come to worship with us today or maybe come with a friend and they don't know you as their Lord and Savior yet. God, would you open their eyes to the genuine reality. You are the source of all life. In you, by you, and through you, everything exists. And you say to all who will receive you, you'll give the right to become a son or daughter of God. So I'm going to invite you, if you haven't given your life to Christ, would you just pray this prayer with me? Just pray it real quietly to the Lord. Something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me to Woodland today to remind me that I am loved by you. To remind me that my sins can only be forgiven through faith in Christ Jesus. And to give me an offer of new life to be as it were like I was born all over again I don't understand it all but as much as I know how I commit my life to you in Jesus name while every head is bowed there's a power in bearing witness. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer this morning. Anyone? All right, God bless you. You can put it down. Anyone else? Well, now, Jesus, I ask you to bless us and send us forth from this place with a sense of your peace and your grace and that we will build deep relationship with you. In Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful weekend.